Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you've had a great day. I'm so glad we're going to have a couple hours to be together today. I hope uh, you're looking forward to your weekend and get some rest, get some projects done. If you've got stuff on your list to do, it's always good to uh, have a plan, right? So, um, or maybe your plan is just to do nothing. So that's good too. We've got a great show. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to be joining me in just a minute. Dr. Alex McFarland, as you know, is an author and uh, an amazing uh, apologist and an all-around great guy, and he's with me now. Alex, welcome. Well, hello there. It's good to be with you. You know, Alex, I've been talking to people lately, and it seems that there, there are more and more people having encounters with friends, acquaintances, people they know who have had a crisis of faith. Maybe there has been the death of someone, uh, a betrayal by a spiritual uh, mentor. Maybe there was a broken relationship or a a devastating loss. And they're questioning, is God paying attention? And Mm. I'm getting some, I'm curious as to how we encounter or how do we restore friendships when a person has said, I've moved away from God and my Christian faith. I, I, I see it more and more and it's so troubling and when people are in this crisis of faith and they believe that they've been let down, where's a good place to start? Wow. Well, for one thing, prayer and empathy. And and Bill, thank you for tackling this. Because, you know what, earlier today I was prepping for our time together and I was reading uh, one of the Barna reports, the, the Barna Research Group out of Ventura, California, very respected uh, pollster. And they were they were polling millennials and younger, late teens, twenty somethings on mm-hmm. why they had rejected Christianity. And one of the predominant reasons was disappointment with a spiritual leader. Yeah. A spiritual leader who had done something. And um you know what, I at any given moment I'm doing some consulting with churches. A lot of churches will ask me to come and, you know, mediate a problem, and it's an honor to try to minister in that way. But a church that I've been working with, Bill, had a pastor that was caught doing something dishonest with money, mm-hmm. and it it was worked out and resolved, uh, but that trust was broken. And nearly a decade later, some people have some deep, deep wounds. Paul in Romans chapter 14 talks about you know, doing your utmost to not cause a weaker brother to stumble. And so uh, I say one of the first things to do is to tell people, you know, I I get it, and I'm very sorry that this or that thing hurt you because it's very debilitating for certain Christians, not all, but if if a person that you've invested a lot of trust in fails you, that that wound can go pretty deep, can't it? It can. I wonder if it's worth saying, what did you have faith in? So, yeah. Sometimes people say, well, I had faith 
in the fact God would provide me with the right spouse and the right job and the right health and they were they were putting their faith in something and not in the living God. Yeah, and you know this is one of the tests. Well, let me just say, as we grow in our walk with Jesus, opportunities come along that are very often disguised as problems. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that. Um, For every believer, I'll put it this way. And do you remember back in the Old Testament, there was the story of Kadesh Barnea. And and let me just say this. Um, Kadesh Barnea was a time when the 12 spies looked at the Holy Land. And uh, this is back, you know, in Genesis and Deuteronomy. Um, But the, the key passage I'm thinking of is in Numbers. All right. Joshua and Caleb said, this land, it's ours, but 10 of the spies said, no, you know, we're like little grasshoppers and the giants of the land will kill us. And they could have crossed over and possessed the promised land, but they they had weak faith and they wandered for 40 years. Here's the thing, Bill. I think in all of our Christian lives, we come to a Kadesh Barnea hmm. where we've we trust God, and we we kind of take our faith to the next level. And when we uh, drop the ball and we don't trust God or we're not able to really process this or that challenge, um, there can be years of really, you know, arrested development, you know. Um, and getting past a beloved leader that let you down, that that can be hard, but you hit the nail on the head. We've got to make sure that our trust is always in Christ. And even I, I've got to tell you this, Bill, and I know this is probably going to sound very mundane, but in my own life, believe it or not, probably the biggest hurt that I had to process, I look back and I thank the Lord that God said no. Okay. Do I have time to tell a quick story? Sure do, Alex. All right. This is probably going to sound very mundane. But anyway, we had a, a family farm for 88 years. And ever since I was like in second grade, I, I dreamed of the day that I was going to own the farm. My grandfather cut the trees and built the house. My dad grew up there and I grew up there. And, oh, the, the barn is where we had horses. And the backyard was where my sister and I played. And, I mean, anybody would tell you all in this world that I loved was that family farm. Well, it's interesting that um, we had to sell it in 2014 to pay for my mom's medical bills. And we tried and tried and tried to keep this this 35-acre farm, and we had to sell it. Well, 40 days later, and I, I... Bill, I don't know the significance of 40, but anyway, 40 days after we sold the family farm to pay my mom's medical bills, she very unexpectedly passed away. And so I thought, if I knew my mother wasn't going to live, I wouldn't have sold the farm. But anyway, so I went to the man. I prayed. I said, hey, uh, could we buy this back because we sold it? And he said, Alex, I'm really, really sorry, but... um, you know, I don't want to sell it. Well, I spent 
about a year and a half grieving Bill. I was like, oh, Lord, I've been I've been faithful to you. I, what would be so wrong with me having that piece of land? And, Lord, uh, please, I wanted this farm. And I was really grieving. Well, I was on a mission trip, and a man from Africa, an African pastor, and nobody on this trip knew anything. This guy comes to me, and he goes, he goes, uh, Pastor Alex, what what is wrong? Something is wrong with you because your your countenance is not bright. And oh, it was just very moving. And I told him the story. And this African pastor who barely knew me, he was like, I understand, but Alex, you have to let it go because your home is in heaven. Your home is nowhere on this earth. So tonight when you go to bed, just say, God, take this away from me and help me to focus on you. Now, this probably sounds so carnal, but Bill, I think it was the hardest prayer I ever prayed. And that night, this African pastor on this mission trip that I barely knew, I tried to take his advice, and I said, Lord, when I wake up in the morning, this obsession with this family farm and all this, Lord, when I wake up, let my heart be changed. And Bill, the next morning it really was. And now I thank God that I don't have that millstone around my neck because, look, all the traveling I'm doing and my wife and I are doing a lot of things and our ministry is thriving. And if I was tethered to the care of a bunch of land and cows, I couldn't do all that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, I thank God that the Lord extricated me from that farm, but but it was a disappointment. My point in all this is to say you just have to trust it with the Lord, and if you're willing, he will take you to a better place spiritually and emotionally and probably literally. Uh, if, if you'll trust God with your hurts, he will heal you, and he'll take you to a better place than you otherwise could have been. Alex, you called that possibly mundane. I'm going to call it profound. I think what you just said was so powerful. And I, I'm, I'm going to ask whoever is hearing this story right now that Alex just shared, if you have a crisis of faith right now, a, a, a hurt or something that is as heavy on you as Alex went through, I would love for you to just say yes in a text, because I'd be curious to wonder how many people listening right now would say, oh my, that's the place I'm in right now. Because I know we would love to collectively pray for you at the end of this uh, time with Alex. So we're going to take a little break, but if you are in that place, just text the word yes to me. I I would love to be able to pray. Alex and I would pray for you. 877-933-2484. If you're just in that crisis or that heaviness, Uh, I just want to lift you up in prayer right now. Again, Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're talking about a crisis of faith. We're going to continue that after the break. If that's you, text the word yes to 877-933-2484.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. All right, we're doing church with Dr. Alex McFarland. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. Talking today about a crisis of faith. We're all going to have them at one point. I remember Elijah experienced a crisis when uh, Queen uh, Jezebel threatened to kill him. So he's on the run for his life and sits under that famous broom brush and says to God that, you know, I prayed that he would die. I've had enough, Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have what they call a dark night of the soul. But if we can get through it uh, and if we can uh, just uh, trust God through the, the dark midnight, we emerge stronger, don't we? Yeah, we do. And this is a nerve that's close to a lot of people, Alex. I, my, my yes text line is lighting up. A lot wow. of people are saying yes, 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 yes. They're, they're in a crisis of faith or they're dealing with someone that is in a crisis of faith and how important it is to, to pray for them, connect with them, and how is the best way we can uh, make a difference at this time when it feels kind of desperate. Mm. You know, uh, Philip Yancey uh, is a Christian author. Um, I'm sure many, many of your listeners have heard of Philip Yancey. And at one time, I think he was editor of uh, Christianity Today, perhaps. But two really, really good books. And, and uh, Bill, I don't recommend a book lightly. I only recommend books that I have read myself at least once. Philip Yancey wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? and is one of the absolute best books on what we call the problem of pain and suffering. You know, if if God is good, if God loves me, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And the the Yancey book, Where's God When It Hurts, phenomenal book. But then Yancey wrote another book called Disappointment with God. Disappointment with God. And, you know, we very often, even the best, most devout Christians... They love the Lord. They trust the Lord. Um, all true believers do. But yet we have a vision for how things are going to work out, and oftentimes it'll, it will work out differently. I can promise you, I can promise you, and I've, I've been in the, the trenches a few years, Bill, but I've also talked with thousands of people. God's answers to prayers are either yes or no or wait for something better. And uh, we don't like to be in the waiting room, but God never fails. If we can wait on the Lord and trust the Lord, honestly, a brighter day will come, not might come. A brighter day will come. I, I promise you, I've, since, I've seen it in my own life. I've heard thousands of testimonies. And for the one who can wait on God, good days do come around. They really do. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. And Alex, when you were telling that story of the African pastor that you didn't really know very well, but he connected with you and you went to prayer that night and put your head on the pillow and sounded like at that moment you surrendered entirely to God's plan for you regarding the farm. The best way I knew how I really did. And, you know, I think I thank the Lord for the discernment of that African pastor and the boldness and the behind my nice fa- facade, I suppose you would say, that he pulled me aside and he said, "What's wrong?" We were on about the 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 third or fourth day of an eleven day mission trip, and he said, "What's wrong?" And I poured out my heart to him, and and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to be as transparent as I can be, Bill. I hoped 
he would say, oh, yes, poor you, poor Alex, <laughs> you know, you're right to be hurt. You deserved it. But in a way, he kind of rebuked me. And he said, you know, tonight before you go to bed, say, God, my heart is broken. My heart is not right. Take this away from me. And like I said, it was a hard prayer to pray. And um, Angie, my wife, would tell you that it really did change me. I came home because this burden had been lifted. And uh, sometimes that that thing in our heart that we nurse, this is why it's so imperative to keep our heart joyful, worshipful, focused on the Lord. Because, listen, that thing that today might just be a minor um, emotional quirk, you you let it fester, and Satan might use it to really twist you up, drive a wedge between you and God. I mean, I honestly think deep, egregious personality quirks, um, they, they can turn into things really dark. And that's why we just very every day we have to be pretty vigilant to keep our heart and mind fully pure before the Lord. And, and Bill, i got to say one more thing. I honestly think one of the keys, one of, one of the absolute secrets to a joyful, healthy Christian life is gratitude. I mean, if you think about it, even, even in the hardest of scenarios, if you think about it, we have all got a lot to be thankful for. And, and depression is very often um, held at bay by gratitude, and that's something we can ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate within our soul. Alex, what sounds exciting to me as you tell this story, and you do it with such vulnerability, which I appreciate, is that that night, it sounded like as you turned and surrendered to the Lord, a brand new chapter was starting in your life. And there were blank pages, but God knew what was going to happen. And you talk with joy that you're not saddled to the care and maintenance of a farm because you now have new opportunities to do powerful ministry, which God has called you to do. But all that didn't happen overnight. It, it didn't. It, it really didn't. And um, do you know, uh, I don't want to bore you with a ton of details, but uh, you're right. Um, and listen, I do you have hobbies, Bill? What What hobbies do you have? Oh, I don't know if I have time for that. I got quite yeah. a long list, but yeah. I think you you and I both love music and both well, play the guitar, don't we? Well, I, you play guitar, I play banjo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And we're still going to, one of these days, we're going to have the Bill Arnold, Alex McFarland jam session. I can't, we've got, I can't. We've got to do that. I can't wait. But, um, <laughs> you know, as much as I, listen, I love woodworking. I love animals. I've got a lot of things that I love to do, but we've got to remember that as long as we're in this life, we're on mission for God. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have eternity in the new Jerusalem to uh, be busy with Christ. And in this life, we really have to jettison some cargo that might come between us and all the ways God wants to bless us and use us. Mm-hmm. Alex, I don't want to do this uh, as we're running out of time. I'm happy to do it now and then leave a little extra time for some more uh, talk. But there is a number of people that are in a crisis of faith right now. And I don't know the details of them. Some of them have shared a, a, some small details. Others have said, yes, I'm there and I need prayer. Can we, would you pray for these dear people that are at a 
very challenged point right now. Amen. Well, let's do that. I'd yeah. be very honored. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you hear the cries of your children. And right now, all of the people listening to this program and all the people texting in, there are needs on every heart. And so, Father God, attend to each one of these requests. And Lord, heal the broken. Give hope to the one who feels just despair. And Lord, we stand on Matthew 6, verse 8. Matthew 6, 8. You told us, Jesus, that the Father knows what we need even before we ask. And so in the name of Jesus, bless, heal, strengthen, restore. And everyone listening right now, give them the courage and the strength to say, In my life, Lord, your will be done. And Father God, I thank you in advance for how you're working in every person's life because you're a good God you do good things for your children. And Lord, we praise you that we are your children through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, Alex. I appreciate that. You know, I'm always reminded that God has information about my life that I don't have. And I need to trust him. And, Beautiful. And, and be reminded that as I, I think about what I think should happen, um, God knows what should happen in reality, yeah. not me. And, and I would say this to everybody listening, and, and it really takes some maturity, I guess, to really accept this. God cares more about you than even you care about you. And when doors close and things don't pan out like we thought, please believe it. God honestly has something better. He really, really does. And thank you for your uh, pastoral care today. It's been meaningful mm-hmm. for many of us. God bless you, yeah. You're a great friend. Thanks, Alex. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Again, you can go to alexmcfarland.com. That's A-L-E-X-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, alexmcfarland.com. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, yeah. what's for 
dinner. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. Always glad when I get a chance to talk to my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington. He is a, a lover of God's Word and a fantastic teacher. And uh, he's got a message today for us called Ransom, Redeemed, Restored. I can hardly wait. Greg, welcome. Hi, Bill. Uh, I don't want to take up a lot of my own talking time. I want to get into this lesson, so let's, uh, let's, let's get to it. Okay, today I'd like to focus on one central idea, but we can get there by looking at another topic that's lately raised the interest of some people, and that subject is the end times. There's been a lot of programs on television recently regarding various ways that the Earth might end, whether it's volcanoes or extreme weather or pandemics. And this topic has been unsettling for a lot of people, especially those who have not put their faith in the Lord. So what does Scripture say about things like when will the world end? How is the end connected with the second coming of Jesus? Who will go to heaven and how are we to live with Christ until then? Now, apart from the end times, my central focus today is on the fact that every follower of Jesus has been ransomed, redeemed, and restored by the Lord in spite of the end times and everything else that we that may distract us. So those three words are also related. But, well, for instance, for the word ransom, I, st- I am stating that Jesus has made the payment to release his people from the prison of sin through his death. For the word redeem, I'm describing how Christ has substituted himself for the punishment we deserve because of our sin. And for the word restore, I'm using it to mean how through the death of our Lord, God has brought us into the relationship with him that he's always intended from the very beginning. So it's ransomed, redeemed, restored. And those are the central ideas for this lesson to keep in mind as we look at a few other subjects, including the end times. So, If you happen to be a note-taker, Roman numeral one, when will Jesus return? Well, let's let's all agree right up front, no one knows the answer to that question. We put our faith in Scripture, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 36, that no one knows the exact date except the Father. That's as clear as mud, and yet it has not discouraged certain people throughout history from predicting an exact date for the end. Or in the lingo of Wall Street, that might be referred to as an attempt to get spiritual insider trading information. Mm-hmm. Now, there's many examples of such attempts to acquire this insider information over the centuries, but let me just mention one of the more recent efforts. In 1988, a man named Edgar Weishman told his followers, quote, mark your calendars because the rapture, meaning the end of the world, will occur between September 11 and September 13, 1988. <laughs> You have to notice that he allows a three-day margin of error in that uh, prediction, just a case. So after selling over two million copies of his little book entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Incur in 1988, well, there's not much more to say except that here we are today. And by the way, I do not know if anyone asked for a refund on their book. Whoever is tempted to set an example exact day for the return of Christ, should remember again the Lord's words we just quoted in Matthew twenty four thirty six that no one knows except the Father in heaven. However, God has given us some clues, we call them signs, in Scripture regarding the general time of Christ's return. <clears throat> now, we could look at Revelation, but for this, let's turn to the prophet Zechariah, who was a priest in the 6th century B.C., who had returned from the 70-year exile of the Jews in Babylon to the devastated city of Jerusalem about 520 B.C. 
In chapters 12 to 14 of Zechariah, we find at least two prophecies. First, Israel will be reestablished in her land when Christ returns. Now, as we know, Israel was established May 1948 as a nation, so it will be reestablished at the second coming, according to Zechariah. Second, Zechariah says Christ will return at a time of world conflict in which Israel will be the focus of an attack. Now, of course, world conflict seems to happen every day, so that's not very specific. But regardless of the exact day, the fact that Christ will return in the last days to receive those who believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, and when we read the last three chapters of the book of Zechariah, and I suggest maybe you do that later, we discover three things. Number one, Israel will at least intellectually recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Number two, not only will Israel intellectually recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but there will also be many who repent. In other words, they will not just receive information about Messiah, but transformation of their hearts so they will worship Jesus as Lord. And the Lord will forgive them who had been unrepentant before for rejecting the Messiah the first time around, 20 centuries before. Number three, it states that it's up to each individual everywhere as to whether they believe that is to trust. Well, in fact, the Greek word for believe, I, I learned this years ago, and it's really been helpful. It's the, the Greek word pisteu literally means to trust, to commit to, to put your weight down on Jesus. I used to think it just meant agree, but it's more active than that, to trust, to commit, to put your faith down on Jesus. Now, there are two themes that are clear throughout Scripture. Number one, God is sovereign, which means his purposes will be accomplished. And number two, every person on earth has a choice to make as to whether or not they will follow Jesus. So here's a question. As we look at the world today and wonder how long things can continue to unravel, we wonder, has the world ever been any different in history, ever? Roman numeral two, if you're taking notes, St. Anthony and the way of the world. Now, uh, Anthony, whose first name was not Saint, but he would later receive an honorific title by the Church of Saints. So let's just call him Anthony. Anthony is considered the father of monks and the first of the Desert Fathers. Anthony lived in Egypt in the 3rd century A.D. and began a new movement of sincere Christ followers who moved to the desert to live lives of solitude, silence, and prayer. They were called the Desert Fathers, and in fact, you can read books about them called The Wisdom of the Desert and Sayings of the Desert Fathers. But Anthony began by living in poverty in a hut on the edge of his village in Egypt and occupied himself with manual work and labor. But soon he realized that in order to be fully transformed into a new creature in Christ, he had to die to his former self. So Anthony withdrew into complete solitude and silence of the Egyptian desert. Now, his experience in the desert was excruciatingly painful, but exquisite. And when he finally emerged from 20 years of isolation, he was blessed with a rich and diverse ministry. People from all walks of life came to him for advice, and the advice he gave is simple and direct. Now, I will not go into the details about that, but here's the main point for us today. One day, as a small group of people gathered around Anthony, hoping to hear advice from him, Anthony 
looking into the future, said these words, words which have an eerie timeless. He said, time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him saying, you were mad. You are not like us. Well, those words have been true throughout history, and as the years go by, I believe we will see more false prophets, more examples of extremism, both politically and spiritually, and more bias against minority and groups, including those who are true Christ followers. So here's a question. Is this the way God intended our world to be? Absolutely not. The problem is that sin permeates the human heart and has blighted much of the world. Followers of the Lord are sometimes thought to be mad and out of their minds and out of reality. But happily, Zechariah assures God's people that a new world awaits something that's coming from behind the veil, which is the end of times, the day of the Lord, in which Jesus the Christ will rule the world justly, lovingly, as he ushers in a new era, described in Scripture as a virtual return to the Garden of Eden in which there's peace with nature, absence of malice, prosperity, security, and fellowship with God. And that is the way things ought to be. And the Lord will determine that it happens. And believers will be transformed, excuse me, ransomed, redeemed, and restored. Now, we may be absolutely committed to the truth personally, but no matter how sincerely we attempt to convince another person of the scriptural truth through logical discussion that Jesus is the truth, it will never be received into someone's heart and transform them into becoming a new creature in Christ without what? The supernatural witness of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says in John 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, him or her as the case may be. So there is no greater miracle, I think we know this, than a heart transformed into being a Christ follower as one experiences being ransomed, redeemed, and restored. So, Bill, those are my first two points. Wow, Greg, I am, uh, I'm riveted, to be honest. I've been uh, not only taking notes, but I've been uh, captivated by this. So thank you so much mm. for uh, getting us started on this discussion. This is fascinating. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're talking uh, about uh, ransomed, redeemed, and restored, and I'm loving it. Let me take a little break. We'll be back in 90 seconds with lots more. presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
show. So glad to have my friend, Dr. Gray Heddington, as my guest. We're uh, getting some wonderful biblical teaching. We're learning about uh, being ransomed, redeemed, and restored. Three words I love. And Greg, let's, uh, if you're ready, let's, uh, let's get back to this. Sure thing. Well, Bill, once again, if anybody's taking notes, Roman numeral three, how are we to live now believing and living this transformed life in Christ? Well, I'm going to give a few thoughts for the coming days. As this pandemic continues, people are experiencing fear, anxiety, confusion, and despair throughout the world. The future is unclear, and people are looking for some kind of permanent peace of mind. Believers, at least academically, might pass the written test and give the correct spiritual answers regarding how Jesus has promised to meet our needs, even though they may not really believe. And again, that Greek word, the real word for Greek belief is to trust, to commit to, to put your weight down on. Because we suffered, and we've gone through pain and tragedy, and after all, come on. Aren't we believers supposed to get a pass on some of these bad things that happened to us? Well, the answer to this could be an entire lesson, but let me briefly say this. Living a faithful, righteous life for Jesus does not mean we will be spared from suffering and tragedy. In fact, believers may suffer even more pain and tragedy than non-believers. In fact, Jesus guaranteed that we would suffer in this life. But in John 16:33, Jesus says, do not be discouraged because I have overcome death. So if we're believers, we're in Christ, and because he overcame death, so will we one day. I do not mean to sound blasé about this. Yes, there is suffering in life, and the Lord is right there with us. And be assured that nothing will happen to us that has not already been cleared by our loving Lord for our ultimate good. After all, God is large and in charge. Amen. So the apostles are filled with fear, anxiety, and confusion in John fourteen twenty seven because Jesus just told them he's going away from them. And sometimes we have fear because we sense the Lord is not with us. And we desperately want to know peace. We want a permanent peace, a peace that will not leave us. And Jesus says in John fourteen twenty seven to his apostles, peace I leave with you. My peace. I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, those are crucial words because many of us live with guilt, anxiety, fear, and regret for mistakes we've made in the past, as well as things that have been done to us. Furthermore, we often have fear of the future. So when we live with guilt and regret about our past and we have fear of the future, it's difficult to be present in the now. And that guilt over our past mistakes can be debilitating. For example, I know of a woman right now that I talk with who's clinically depressed and in a treatment facility because she cannot forgive herself for past mistakes. And I know she is not the only one out there. One weapon the enemy uses against us is when we are so distracted by previous failures that we do not acknowledge deep in our heart that God has forgiven us and he wants us to live an abundant life of freedom now. Instead, some people keep hitting that repeat button that plays over and over and says something like, if I'd not done that thing, then I would not have to pay the consequences I'm paying right now. So is there any hope for me? 
Well, the answer is yes. The goodness of Jesus is that guilt, that pain, and that shame were paid for 2,000 years ago. Jesus purchased those sins. They were ransomed. Jesus substituted himself for the punishment we deserved. We were redeemed. And he brought us into the relationship with him he has always intended. We were restored, ransomed, redeemed, restored. Now, switching gears a little bit, here's a question. Who was the most evil person who ever lived? Now, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, competition for that title. And there's Stalin, Hitler, Idi Amin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong. After all, each of those men killed millions. So who is the most evil? Who is the most evil person who ever lived? Well, the answer is clear. Jesus on the cross, the moment he took the sins of not only the killers I just mentioned, but the sins of everyone on earth, past, present, future. I mean, it's, it's unimaginable for the human mind to conceive of it, that Jesus paid for all those sins with his life as the perfect sacrifice. But we know from Scripture it's true. And when Jesus was about to die, he said, it is finished. What was finished? Well, the sins of the world for which we are guilty were once and for all paid for by Jesus on one Friday afternoon. Ransomed, redeemed, restored. And because of that, those of us who say yes to Jesus have also received the peace we've always been looking for, for which Jesus promised us back in that John fourteen twenty seven passage that we read earlier. Because of the cross, we're not just whistling in the dark, hoping that something good will happen. Why? Well, because something good has already happened to us, which we can never repay. What is it? Well, it's called grace. And we praise you, Lord, for your grace to us. Now, speaking of praise, how do we define praise? Well, there's a lot of different definitions, but I like to define praise as simply giving credit to whom credit is due. Mm -hmm. I like the way Augustine described it. Now, Augustine is not to be confused with Augustine grass, which we have a lot of here in the southern <laughs> states. Okay. Completely, well, at least it's a completely different way to pronounce it. Augustine was a 4th century scholar from North Africa who was so brilliant that it's like he dropped down from outer space. I mean, Martin Luther was heavily influenced by Augustine 11 centuries later. So Augustine described grace and the human condition like this, quote, all humanity is in a sinful state. We are sinking in quicksand, and the more we struggle, the further we sink. But we're thrown a rope, and we have a choice of taking the rope and being pulled to safety or not. We can take no credit for being rescued. How descriptive is that of our rescue? We can also think of grace like this. It's as if we've been given a check from the Lord to cover our sins. We have it in our pocket, but it will not do us any good there until what? Until we deposit it. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean like deposit it somewhere down the street? No, we deposit it into God's bank. Well, what does that mean? It means that when we say yes to God and receive his forgiveness through the cross of Jesus, we then become free to live the abundant life he promised. Well, will we see problems? Oh, you bet. But the Holy Spirit is with us every moment of the day because we are ransomed, redeemed, restored. I have always appreciated the words of the serenity prayer, which has been used for years in 12-step meetings, which you probably know are based around scripture. Mm -hmm. It was written, in fact, by the brilliant theologian Reinhold Niebuhr 
And I will not quote the entire prayer because it's the first part of the prayer I want to focus on. It begins like this. Many of you know this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So here's a question. What things can we change? Well, it's not easy, but we can change our attitude and our behavior with the help of the Holy Spirit. We'll never do it perfectly, but God is not asking for perfection. In fact, here's a one-liner to remember. Jesus did not die to make bad people good or good people better. Jesus died to make dead people alive. So we do our best as a way of saying thank you to God for what He, what we can never repay. As the 12 Steps program says, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can change our attitude and our behavior. Well, then what are the things we cannot change? Well, the answer may be tough for some to swallow, but the truth is we cannot change. Ready? We cannot change other people. Yeah, good point. It may take a few painful years to learn it like it did for me, but wisdom tells us that Try as we may, we cannot change others. Now, I love the title of that creative musical, which is called, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. (laughs) And, of course, it's not going to happen. Now, what's another thing we cannot change? Well, we cannot change our past. We cannot change what we have done in the past or what was done to us in the past. But because the Lord has covered the past with the sacrifice of his blood, we can forgive our past sins and pain done to us. But it's not easy. I like what Anne Lamott, what she has to say about this. Quote, forgiveness is giving up all hope of having a better past. Wow. Now, our past is over. The Lord's forgiveness is a done deal, and we can welcome it into our lives when we believe. And what's that word believe in, in Greek? It's pisteu, to trust, to commit to, to put your weight down on Jesus, because he's the only one that can handle it. Now, check out what Jesus promises in Matthew 11, verse 29. He says he can handle our burden and give us rest. So our prayer is, Lord, give us the serenity to, to accept the things we cannot change, which is other people and our past, and the courage to change the things we can, like our attitude and our behavior, even though we'll never do it perfectly. But it's not about perfection. It's about progress. After all, we will never be good enough to deserve God's forgiveness, and we will never be bad enough to prevent it. Why? Because Jesus took care of it on the cross. It's a done deal. In conclusion, what must we know during this time of pandemic in order to have peace? Well, what must we know even if there is no pandemic in order to have peace? In other words, my final point, Roman numeral four, what is our only comfort in life and in death? In fact, it was a question that a number of theologians decided that the church must answer in the most succinct way possible. It was a church conference in Heidelberg, Germany in 1563, and they were careful to give answers from Scripture to 128 questions and principles for faith in a document known now as the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a long series of questions and answers, and we're just going to look at the first question, because it's a question all of us have asked throughout history. And here it is. Question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, 
that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Oh, wow, Greg, that is fantastic. That is absolutely a brilliant uh, message, and I can't wait to listen to it again already. Okay, buddy. It is always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, it's great. And I know um, how much you uh, love to study and you love God's Word. And I just it comes pouring out of every pore in your body, which I love. Amen. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you again. We'll look forward to our next chat. Dr. Greg Heddington has been my guest. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.